Neighborhood Church. To find out more about who we are, go to neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Enjoy the message. So I want to introduce Kathy Herms. Uh, She's a Duluth area educator for National Safe Place and the coordinator for Together for Youth. And we were just having a little discussion about, I can't wait for you to introduce um, yourself to just one of the ways that she uh, shares her names with students because she spent a lot of time as a student as an educator teaching science for a while too. But what I'm looking forward today is for all of us to learn and to grow. Um, Part of our practice in our church is liberation theology, which is where we believe that that God believes in freedom for all of us and that we can see the beauty and the joy in every single human being. And so part of that is us doing our work of listening and learning as allies. And so as as she's speaking to us today, there's going to be time for you to, uh, if you have a question, if you're stuck on something, you're like, I don't really quite understand, you can ask. We were talking about that. Kathy is open to being stopped in the middle to answer some questions for you all, but I want to bring her up. Would you guys give a warm welcome for Kathy Herms? Uh, thank you for the, the setup, Nikki, to do my opening day of school yeah. introduction. So I'm Ms. Herms, that rhymes with worms, germs, and other biological terms, including gymnosperms, angiosperms, and regular old boy sperms. Um, my pronouns are she, her, they, them. Another way to communicate that to people is that my pronouns are she, they. Uh, I'm from the Chester Creek Water Shed in the East Hillside of Duluth. I work out of this building these days now that I'm not teaching about worms and germs anymore. Um, this is the Center for Changing Lives building, uh, kind of on the far east end of downtown Duluth. Is this working out? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, and though we're still uh, officially closed due to COVID, we're supporting a lot of youth out of that building. There's housing in that building. Uh, there's a free teen health center, which I'm attached to. Um, and groups for young people aged out of foster care or soon to age out of foster care, uh, supervised visits, including other other services as well. So the things I'm attached to, Together for Youth Group, it's a social support group for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, questioning, allied, intersex, two-spirit, demigirls, demiboys, pansexual, panromantic, and all other normally and beautifully identified 14 to 20-year-olds who need some snacks because it's four in the afternoon when we welcome them. Um, They need a space as safe as we can make it, and uh, they need some adult oversight, although they might object to that suggestion. Um, And sometimes they need some really intense uh, interventional work, too, because of the, the danger that is out there for them and because of the heavy load of microaggressions that they carry because we do that to them. Um, I also, uh, well, I guess I'll I'll, I'll mention that Together for Youth got started in the mid-1990s, and it has met continuously since that time, 4 o'clock to 6 o'clock every Wednesday, mostly out of the Gloria Day Lutheran Church, 
uh, until the fire happened there. And then we had to shift temporarily to uh, the Ordine building downtown. And now we shifted into the Center for Changing Lives, which is about a three-year-old building at this, at this point. But a long, long history started by carrying uh, mostly parents in Duluth who were watching their LGBTQ kids suffer in school. I know the conversation began in 1991 and culminated in the establishment of a group by, uh, it was either 95 or 96. That's, that's a lot of dedication from caring adults in a dicey time to show that you care about that particular population. So great thanks to those parents back in the day. Um, I'm also attached to the Free Teen Health Center. We do HIV testing outreach work as well as syphilis testing now. There is an outbreak of both uh, uh, HIV and syphilis in the Duluth area that includes Duluth and 30 miles around it. So all the more important that we are doing that work. Um, and we also have very recently started doing COVID vaccination hesitance work among 13 to 24 year old BIPOC and LGBTQIA2 plus young people. So we work with Family Freedom Center uh, uh, on their Blacksinated project to, they say they're unapologetically uh, educating about COVID in the black community. That's their tagline. And then we have our Vaxicorn mascot that helps us um, hopefully reach LGBTQI2 plus young people. That was uh, created by a, a Together for Youth member. It's like the cutest thing I've seen in 2022. <laughs> um, and so I, I, I was uh, asked to come here and share with you why do I do this work uh, and to give you a sense for the conditions of this time in history for young people coming up. And, and I'm, I'm gonna speak from the perspective of young people much of the time because I work with young people. However, the trials and tribulations and the joys that young people who are LGBTQIA2+, uh, what they're experiencing, translates right up into the adult world. Schoolyard bullies become workplace bullies. And some of the very same, same language translates. Sometimes it gets more sophisticated and sneaky, when you bring it up into the adult workplace. So again, I'm, I'm youth-centered here, but so much of what I'm gonna say is applicable to the, the adult world for LGBTQIA2 plus folks. Um, just trying to be good citizens and get all the stuff that, that they deserve out of their time here on the planet with us. So, um, I, I do what I do because of those, those uh, uh, 14 to 20 year olds that I hang out with uh, because they're, they're creative and resilient and awesome and cranky and oppositional and super smart and they help me with technology. Um, <laughs> so I derive direct benefit from my association um, with them at their age in my, in my current age. Um, I also do this because of these two. I, I'm, the, I'm the weeping butch, so I'm probably gonna cry <laughs> at some point. So um, the tagline here, using the proper pronouns is suicide prevention. And there's an image of Evan Owen Adams on the left and Aidan Thomas Immerfall on the right. Two young trans men lost to suicide from our community. Our loss as community members, loss to the 
local trans community, loss to the young people, especially who Evan was influencing as a social worker at Lifehouse, um, loss to those who want to learn about queer experience, trans experience in particular, because Aiden did this presentation with me. Not, not sure I'll get far enough, but we'll do. I potentially could cover some of the material that Aiden would, would typically be sharing um, when we're doing this presentation. Um, don't want to suggest by that, that, that little uh, phrase up at the top that one instance of misgendering somebody by not using the correct pronouns is going to be the thing that will cause them to choose suicide. It's the multiple um, uh, endurance of many, many situations like that at school, at home, maybe at church, at work, out in the community at large, it's our own personal biochemistries that define how our well-being is experienced and expressed. It's not having sun <laughs> for a really long, long time. It's, it's, it's all kinds of things that, that influence that tragic decision. But I would say if you recognize times where you've delivered a microaggression, like misgendering somebody by using the incorrect pronoun, Balance that out. Make sure you offer up an affirmation. I bet you're good at it. Just tell them they, they got a really great shirt on that day before you part company. Because that's there's a lot of power in that. I think we underestimate our ability to undo little harms that get done, not necessarily by us, by, but by all kinds of other people, too. Um, as I talk to people, I hear about the Government Services Center in downtown Duluth, how that's a place where lots of microaggressions are delivered by the frontline staff. Not that they're being deliberate and malicious, I'm guessing just not well-trained and harming people by saying things that especially are identi identity-centered. Um, so, um, so anyhow, with, with uh, Evan and Aiden in my heart as I speak to you. So the conditions of the day. Um, <laughs> this is a grim story, <laughs> but I want you to know, think of, remember the vaxicorn if it's getting too, too heavy um <laughs> for you. I, I mean, conditions are grim. Conditions were grim prior to COVID changing how we can relate with one another. Um, and COVID has deepened that, but our sociopolitical climate has taken a nasty turn and so it's important um, it's important to know that safe space that did exist has been compressed there's less of it there are fewer safe channels between those safe spaces uh, some of those are totally eliminated so for lgbtqia2 two plus people it's a matter of scampering navigating the best you can from one space to the next that you perceive to be space that might safe that might actually be safe, not always though. Um, so it's really important to be mindful of that, to elbow out and make more safe space, whether it's temporary or more permanent, and help people see those safer paths of, of travel between safe spaces. Um, there's, a, there's a distinct difference between uh, the metro area and greater Minnesota. Here we are in little rural Cloquet. Uh, it's, it's the frontier up here, especially around gender identity. 
We've gotten better around sexual orientation with the passage of the same-sex marriage legislation in 2012, but it is pretty hostile out there in general. Um, uh, as a result of the compressed safe space, kind of the the general difficulty of the time socio-politically uh, and the, the progress we still need to make to put a positive spin on it in rural areas. Um, LGBTQIA2S plus kids and adults have to, we have to live in two different worlds or three different worlds or four different worlds depending upon the condition of what it's like in our workplace or our schools uh, or in the general community. And we're code, swi we're code switching constantly we're changing what words we choose to use. We might change the, what we choose to dress in. We're changing maybe the way we even express our, our body language as we shift from space to space and do a quick assessment of is this space safer than the space I just walked uh, uh, from? So it's exhausting. It's really exhausting to constantly have to be recalibrating. In your mind, you're taking your best guess, unless there's good people dropping some big fat clues for you. Then, then that makes this kind of recalibration process easier. Um, it's also a time where the, our core identities, uh, LGBTQIA plus adults as well as kids, are being banter bantered about in, in you know, social media settings on network news <laughs> in a very negative way. Um, you know, I whatever your identity is, imagine your identity being spoken about very negatively every single day on radio and social media, on, on television. Um, trans people and non-binary people are actively being erased right now. Imagine that. Think about your core identities relative to sexual orientation or gender identity and think about politicians, legislators trying to erase your existence they're not going to make legislation about you. You don't even exist. <laughs> we don't even have to talk about you. That's what's going on right now. Very serious erasure of LGBTQI2 plus people. Um, the the uh, image in the upper right corner, 100 plus uh, anti-LGBTQ bills have been introduced in 29 states. That's from 2000, um, I believe it was 2017. Um, and there was a big difference in legislative activity shifting from the Obama administration to the Trump administration. Um, so that probably looks like that, mm, that must be the worst of times there, that 100 plus anti-LGBTQ pieces of legislation. But drop down to the bottom image there, the legislative tracker, if you were to get on that today, it's, it's kept up to date, you would see that there were, are hundreds of anti-LGBTQ plus pieces of legislation being introduced in states. Um, and what has happened now is because we've got a different president from 2017, um, federal level policy changes are not likely to take place that are anti-LGBTQ. So what's going on? Individual governors are doing it state by state. And so we've got, that's why we've got more. We've got individual governors and individual states pushing pieces of legislation out there. I checked, I did this presentation this past week and I checked the tracker right before the presentation and there were six active anti-LGBTQ pieces of legislation going through 
uh, Minnesota legislature at this time. And I know some of it's aimed at um, uh, trans athletes in particular. Although our Minnesota State High School League has done some solid work for, for trans athletes. So those uh, current bills that we're seeing in the United States, they're anti-trans bill, they're school policy bills, they're healthcare bans, they're anti-LGBTQ in general, and they're youth sports bans. Um, and so <coughs> living with that kind of as the, the um, social political milieu, we need to, to the best of our ability, those of us down here on the ground, non-legislators as we are, um, we can just do our best to carve out safe space so that people can let their guard down, drop their shoulders, and just like hang and chat and do what you want to do. Uh, and then have to gird your loins and go back out <laughs> into the big old world. Um, um, I'm gonna say no, nothing, I love L&M, so I'm pleased that I'm here in Cloquet and so I can hit up L&M on my way home. <laughs> but for me, the safety quotient changes. My feeling here is, gonna, is different than it, my feeling's gonna be when I go into that kind of space. And we could, uh, yeah, I could, we, I could talk about that for a long time, but <laughs> so anyhow. Help, help kids, help adults too, who are LGBTQIA2 plus identified, uh, let, our, let, let our guard down more often. Help make spaces safer so we can, we've got a little relaxation time before we, we get out and try to navigate um, the world. I'm gonna give you an example of how this living in two worlds affects me as a presenter. So this was the title slide that was up before I started talking. Um, and I don't always use this slide because it's got the word queer in it. And I recognize I may have made some of you feel uncomfortable uh, because that word was up there and I'm probably gonna start saying it more now because LGBTQIA2 plus is a, is a mouthful. Um, um, and I didn't see too much discomfort yet. Uh, so I think I'll use the word queer verbally and there you see it visually. But if it's a rural area, you qualify. So I had to think about it. Um, if it's an audience that is elders mostly or exclusively, I often will not use this slide out of respect because queer is still a powerfully triggering word for many of our elders. Um, or if I've just kind of gotten some clues that this, there could be some oppositional folks in the audience, I would use this as a title instead. Um, not, that this, not that that might not be triggering also for some people. So. Um, instead of using queer, N NQT2SLGBIA plus cultural considerations. That, that uh, array of letters comes from the new commission that was established in Duluth. Um, and it's a sign that most of the people on that, com that commission forming group were young. Because <laughs> they put the NQT2S in front of the other part. That's a sign of youth culture getting a little power. And it was a fight. Actually, I was on the committee too. I was one of two elder type people. And it was, it was a struggle. We talked a long time about what they were gonna name that and the order that the letters should be um, uh, put there. So yeah, this is, the, this is the title slide I'd use if I think I might be making people too uncomfortable right off the bat. But I did, I did start with this because I speculated you'd be a safe audience. And you, you look at so far, yeah. Non-binary, I qualify, 
queer, I qualify, trans, I qualify, two-spirit, nope, lesbian, back in the day, yes, <laughs> uh, gay, bisexual, intersex is about anatomy, I, I am not of intersex anatomy, A is asexual or ally, and, and actually, and depends upon who you ask, don't hold me as the authority, because remember, I'm an elder, and I've been learning from the younger people, and I, I edit this all the time when I get schooled. Um, so I, I, I said that. Other people might tell you different things about some of those letters. And some people would say that that plus on the end is offensive. But the plus on the end is there at least to say, well, yeah, we don't have the letters up there for demi-boys and demi-girls, and, and sometimes there's a U included in that, that list of letters, too. And, and here's what I'll say, because our time is passing quickly here. I could spend a lot of time talking about terminology, but you know what? We're beautiful human beings. Make us feel significant. Help us belong. Keep us as safe as you can, and it's cool. And we can toss those labels. But there are reasons to hold on to the labels, like this socio-politically volatile time when people are trying to erase our very existence. We gotta keep shouting out those words. We're still here. Or, especially for people who are freshly coming out, and maybe it was stumbling upon a word that was like the, <laughs> the moment that like the light bulb went on. And, and so when there's people really like holding on to the terms, do your best to use those terms about them with them uh, to help, help their process. And our identities are fluid, so they change over time, and they will change back and forth and back and forth and beyond the boundaries we thought we had established. That is normal. Um, so just be ready for words and pronouns to change, but remember that fundamental uh, way to view all of us, that, yeah, we need to be made to feel significant, made to belong, and kept as safe as we reasonably, reasonably can. Um, so a little climate check nationally. This is from uh, information about youth. Um, the blue and the purple states are, are, by this metric, the good states to live in um, uh, as far as, as um, serving youth. Um, the purple states where Minnesota uh, has his, has its color, are states that actually um, prohibit discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity, explicitly prohibiting discrimination based on sexual or orientation and discrimination. So good on us here in Minnesota. And then uh, second place are the blue states, so that's Wisconsin. Um, um, they protect against discrimination uh, relative to sexual orientation only. They haven't thrown in the gender part of it yet. Where you don't want to be by this particular map is where the fire truck red and the brick red states are denoted. Um, and different look at it. Um, and Florida would be red now. This is a relatively fresh map, but things changed negatively in Florida. So the, the red states are, they're called no promo homo states, or the don't say gay states, or the states where they're trying to push through what, what typically are called parental rights acts. Um, and so teachers are forbidden from speaking about sexual orientation or gender identity in a curricular context. If it was casual conversation, I, that would be okay, but can't be mentioning those queer people in 
uh, an educational context. And that's, imagine a kid, a queer kid growing up in those states and, and knowing that your teachers are forbidden from talking about people who you, you need for your representation to like become a happy, healthy adult life form where, wherever you happen to be growing up. Um, and then the gray states are called um, uh, uh, the, the enumeration, non-enumeration states. And these are states where um, they can have anti-bullying policies, rules, laws, but they can't enumerate who are the protected classes. This is a typical tactic when there are scared adults who don't want to protect or admit that queer people exist. And so they take everybody off the table. Y y we can't name anybody because somebody here is trying to advocate for, for LGBTQIA2 plus people. So we're going to avoid offering them protection by saying we're not going to name anybody who can be protected. Typical tactic. Um, I'll, I'll share a, a corollary example about Southridge School. And Southridge School has done fantastic work. Southridge School has a lot of work to do yet. <laughs> Are you from Southridge School? <laughs> okay, so this is, this is back in the day when the school uh, just got open and, and there was a, uh, our teacher there named Carolyn Olson and she supported their student gender and sexuality group. And they wanted to put up a rainbow flag because that's what you do when you're queer and you, you're feeling your oats and you, you want other people to like know that you're, you're there in that space. And it turned into a big controversy and they ended up um, initially taking down all the flags. There were flags for other things. They took them all down, and I think they got to go back. Are all the flags back? Okay. But they did that thing where we can't let those queer flag-bearing people have their flag up there. We're going to say no to all the flags. That happened in Marshall, Minnesota. I think it was two years ago in a middle school. They wanted to have a rainbow flag up. The, the yeah. People went batty over that, and then they, yeah, they had to take all the flags down so they wouldn't have to look at the rainbow flag. That's a very common tactic, especially in rural areas. Okay, what's the story in Minnesota? Where's, where's the, the safer space and where's the more microaggressive space? Um, this is a map from the, the uh, 2012 um, vote on same-sex marriage, and they amendment that had to be dealt with before the, the vote on same-sex marriage. So the red counties would be the relatively safe counties using this metric. The red counties are the counties that voted in favor of same-sex marriage in Minnesota. The green counties, nope. So this may be a simplistic uh, suggestion on my part, but I'm going to say that you know the green counties are probably generally less safe for LGBTQIA2 plus people, and the red counties would be a bit safer. but you know, that, that, that's, a, that's a metro and a college university related phenomenon there, those counties that are red. Uh, Cook County's the outlier, but that, you know, that's them, hi those hippies and, and yeah. <laughs> that's Grand Marais, huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I would say if we, if we looked at St. Louis County township by township, I bet we'd stay red, right, you know, down, down by Duluth, but I bet the rest of the county, you wouldn't have to get too much far north, north of Duluth, and the rest of the county would flip green on this particular um, vote. And, and imagine if there was some kind of uh, piece of legislation that 
that we could vote on as citizenry around protecting trans students right now, would it look the same? Or would we lose some of that red even and it would get worse? I think it would get worse probably if we had a ballot question about protecting trans students in some way. So yeah, we, we got a lot of work to do in Minnesota. We got a lot of work to do. And then um, I, I, I'm often editing this PowerPoint less than 24 hours before I begin, and I had to share it be longer ago than 24 hours, so I presented to the Department of Human Services Tuesday, so you see their building there, but imagine you're the front of neighborhood church um, up there. Um, and, and I guess I would, would ask, when people walk through that door, cross your threshold, what kind of code switching did I just, <laughs> what kind of code switching, if any, ha would happen for someone entering your space today when you're worshiping together or just, just on an, uh, any other day? Um, and w what if we walked the full block here on a business day when all the stores and organizations are operating and people were going to walk from room to room or from building to building? How much would people have to code switch as an LGBTQIA2 plus person going into different buildings along your main drag here or going into the school or going to L&M or Super One or wherever? How, how is this space, how does this community um, stack up in that regard? Um, and, I, and I would say Uh, this little collection of people has the capacity to help change those conditions that, that exist as you, as you would navigate your way through this community. Um, and it, it would require a little bit of bravery on your part to, to step up and be an ally and make other people uncomfortable because that's what we got to do, right? We got to get people feeling uncomfortable before they're gonna think stuff through and uh, change their viewpoint and change their, beha their behavior from there. So yeah, I think um, if we had time, I would tell you why the man-identified people in this room right now, you got the most power to do the most positive change. You do, you really do. Um, and yeah, don't have time to talk about it, <laughs> but just know you got that power. Uh, you got a lot of, lot of, of you got a big safety bubble around you. Um, yeah, work that bubble. <laughs> um, uh, Nikki and I were talking about safe, I can just wing it from here. <laughs> uh, Nikki and I were talking about safe space indicators and safe space stickers are really popular um, and you can go online and buy all kinds of different ones. I would recommend, um, if you're gonna go that route to make something specific to this space, um, your congregation, or in your workplaces if you're doing safe space stickers. But I would also say you gotta live into that. And I would really recommend that you train quite deliberately before sticking any uh, safe space stickers up on a doorway or your office door or on the back of your clipboard or whatever whatever way you wanna drop that clue that you're uh, potentially safe person and this could be potentially a safe space that that someone might be walking into because um, a lot of times 
There are safe space stickers up. Young people and adults enter a space, think they can let their guard down, and they get harmed in some way. And then they're probably not going to come back, and they're going to go tell other people, hey, this happened to me when I was at such and such a place. Um, there are studies that indicate that if even, like in a school setting, if a teacher has a safe space sticker up and uh, kids decide to go let their guard down, eat their lunch in that room, um, and they do get harmed in some way by that teacher, then all the safe space stickers lose their power in that school. Okay, so you gotta be really deliberate and prepared to live into knowing how to hold that safe space for people. And a lot of times you're, you, you might be hearing the phrase brave space. That's kind of really what we, we got going on here, is even a space that is claimed to be safe for a certain population still is going to take a fair amount of bravery to, to be there. And if you truly uh, are exercising brave space, um, you want to try to have people who are who are from a marginalized population feel comfortable enough to stay there, but also the people who are not from that marginalized population need to feel uncomfortable enough to stay present with that person and have conversation. Good conversation happens in brave space. Um, so in terms of stickers, I guess I would, I would, do, I would suggest a campaign for stickers that say safer space because we just can't fully guarantee safe space. Um, um, yeah, it's, 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 we're all on different spots on the learning curve. And intentionally or unintentionally, we're going to do harm sometimes. Um, and probably the, the ideal would be kind of merged brave space and safe space, where you know that you can let your guard down. But sometimes when you're together with other people in that space, you're going to talk about some of the hard stuff. Um, and then when you need to, you can regress back to the safer space part of that space. But yeah, that's what we got to do is make those brave spaces bigger so we don't necessarily need as much safe space because we learned a bunch of stuff when we were hanging out with each other in the brave space. So um, 11 o'clock. <laughs> Y'all got that in you? Ten, ten. Remember, I was a biology teacher. I can, I can like keep going. <laughs> so, um, well, I'll just reinforce the the three basic needs that I had mentioned: the 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 need for um, all of us to feel significant, to belong, to be safe. And I'm going to slide the queer lens in front of it. Um, so, the issue of feeling significant. One way to let people know that they're significant is that you will come to know and use their true names and pronouns. <laughs> that is the number one thing on the kids list when they're asked how can, we, we usually ask it in the context of school settings, how can your teachers and staff uh, make it easier for you to be in school? And we asked in 2017, pronouns and, and names was at the top of the list. We asked again this year, a couple of schools, pronouns and true names are still at the top of the list, so we haven't done We've done some good, but we, we haven't done really, really well on that pronouns and true names stuff for, for kids. So yeah, keep that in mind. And also keep in mind that code switching. You as allies, you, you got to code switch with us too. Because remember, I might tell you that I'm 
I'm uh, uh, genderqueer. I'm not a woman. I'm not a man. I'm genderqueer. I'm a tomboy straight out of the 1970s. I use she, they pronouns. But if I bump into you at L&M a little bit later today, um, maybe you don't want to ask me a really loud question about my genderqueerness. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> to, be head, to be heads up about how we're hopping in and out of that closet constantly, and sometimes you got to do that hop with us. And in school settings, good schools devise ways to collect true names and true pronouns, but also how to have flags or markers to indicate. But if this, this student's parent comes in, don't use their true names and pronouns, because all hell's going to break loose for them at home, and maybe for you as a school uh, trying to support this, this young person. It's crazy time to try to be respectful, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. You, you probably live that every week. Yeah, yeah, t you know, number one, to gain people's trust so you can find out about their authentic selves. Number two, to get it in your brain so you remember it correctly. And number three, then, to have to hop in and out of safe space and unsafe space with those people, using their true names and pronouns when it's safe, and going back to using their legal name and given pronouns when it is less safe. It takes a lot of, a lot of uh, mental gymnastics to to be on top of that. But we can do it because we got big groovy brains and we only use like 10% of them. So like, <laughs> like have at it, learn those pronouns. I practice with my cats. Um, Nutters is the they them cat. Uh, <laughs> White Stripes, he's, he's, got, he's got some toxic masculinity issues. He's clearly a he him cat. Um, and then uh, Donald Ferguson, the neighbor cat, is the wild card. And so if I have to learn z zir zir pronouns, that's Donald. So I talk about Donald to the other two cats, and I just talk a lot about Donald using Zizir uh, pronouns about Donald. So you can do it. Practice. And you're going to mess up. You're going to mess up. I do frequently. Um, and here's what, what you should do when you mess up. You acknowledge. Oops. You apologize. Sorry. And you can self-correct quickly or just carry on. If you were chatting about something, Keep chatting. If you are chopping onions together, keep chopping onions. This is what you shouldn't do. This is advice straight from the kids. And even if it was like the 12th time you've misgendered a kid this week, um, and you're feeling really bad, and you're going to cry, um, try not to over-apologize and cry. If you need to cry, uh, go to the back room or find some adult life form to cry to. Don't start crying in front of that kid because you just misgendered them. <laughs> you gave them a little negative hit. And now you, you, you're an adult standing in front of a kid, and kids are not quite sure how to comfort adults. And so they, they, come, they say, can we touch their arms? What should we do um, if, if this adult just broke down in front of us because they, mis they mispronounced us uh, yeah, for the fifth time today? Um, if you start crying and you can't like extract yourself from the situation, it becomes about you, right? And it was supposed to be about that cool kid that you were, you were having some communication with. So yeah, just make it quick. Oops, sorry, I meant they, and carry on from there. And as you deep, if you've got a deep relationship with that young person, then you can go and have a talk about it maybe a little later. Or as your relationship deepens, you can have a conversation about it. But in the moment, especially if there's other people around, don't turn it into a production about you and how bad you feel. Does that make, make sense? Yeah. And then um, 
Relative to belonging, uh, be mindful of chosen families, marginalized people around all identities often cobble together chosen families. And if you're welcoming families of origin or biological families, make sure you're communicating that you're welcoming, cho you're welcoming chosen families as well. And treat them just like you would treat biological family members. If you're passing out hot dogs and having a gunny sack race, everybody gets hot dogs and everybody gets to be in. Don't, don't opinionate about, you're not this child's. Who are you? What are you doing here? You, you be cool about that and welcome them. Because chosen families get us through a lot. And they should, sometimes because of the hostility around, they have to be kind of hidden. But if you're creating safer space, they'd be really happy to be like recognized as, as a, uh, you know, a person supporting this particular young people. And then relative to safety, um, I don't know, I've already riffed on how not safe it is right now. Um, especially when you've got intersecting identities, I'll use the example of Transgender Day of Remembrance, where we try to recognize people who at least, whose deaths were reported um, related to hate crimes, actually internationally. If you were to look at uh, a pictorial arrangement of those people across the United States, across the world who are murdered each year due to their identity, um, there's four dangerous intersections happening. Number one, trans, to be a transgender person. Number two, to be a woman. Number three, to be a BIPOC, especially to be black. Number four, to be young. Um, these deaths are, are grossly underreported, that erasure business. Um, last year in the United States, there were 45 hate crime deaths reported. Almost all of them were trans black women and, and almost all of them were young. So yeah, safety is so important. And think, I think I'll close with my, my, one of my favorite uh, points to sermonize around and that's um, safety held up against discomfort. We've already touched on that a little bit. Um, especially related to kids in school settings. Um, the safety of children should rise above the discomfort of adults. Always, always. And that table is flipped right now for the most part. The discomfort of adults is pandered to and the kids remain unsafe. And that's why we see 47% uh, uh, rate of suicidal uh, ideation amongst trans people in general higher amongst some, some uh, trans kids. I mean, the, the negative indicators are so high for the LGBTQ uh, plus population in general, and especially kids. Uh, 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 chemical use, risky sexual behavior, mental health issues, suicidal ideation, self-harming, extremely high for LGBTQI2 plus um, adults and kids. And part of the reason that's happening is because we are still insisting that adult discomfort is paid mind to more so than the psychological, emotional, spiritual, physical safety of precious, awesome kids. So I'll land there. Thank you, Kathy, so much. Um.
What a great word for us to hear, too, right? Absolutely. So I'm going to pray and close out. Kathy is going to stay and hang out. So if you have more questions for her and you want to chat a little bit, you can do that. Um, So I'll pray and we'll end. So God, thank you uh, for what you're doing in us and um, for the things that are landing on our hearts that maybe we felt uncomfortable or we felt challenged to grow and to try something new or something different. Um, We take that as um, something deeply sacred and Um, good to make even this place at Neighborhood a safe space. So help us to do that uh, good work and to create safe spaces wherever we go. In your name, amen. All right, I'm going to turn on some music, and thank you so much for coming to church today.